Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today I want to talk to you about Israel's prophetic future, right? So we could call this kind of like end times stuff. But when you talk about end times, a lot of people clam up or they they really get afraid, right? That is the exact opposite of what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, when you begin to see these things take place, he said, lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh. Jesus did not say, as the end draws near, buy land in Montana, go hide in the mountains with dried beans and guns. That is not what he said, right? He said the opposite. He said, lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh. Uh, If you are a believer in Christ, you should not be fearful. You should actually be excited. But let me just lay a little bit of groundwork. And uh, today, uh, you're going to need your brain, right? We're going to be looking at at some some scriptures that talk about the day that we're living in. And uh, you're, you're going to want to catch this. This is, this is really exciting and very important. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land I'll show you. I will make you a great nation, Israel. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's foreign policy is found here in verse 3. He blesses those who bless the Jews and Israel, and he curses those who curse the Jews and Israel. As a believer, we talked about it last week, we stand with Israel. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he promises him the land, the land of Israel, where they are today and even to a greater degree, right? As they literally forget about God and serve other gods, God dispersed them throughout the nations. God said that's what he was going to do, right? And literally, as of 70 AD, Israel ceased to be a nation until 1948. For 1,878 years, there was no Israel. But God said, in the last days, I'm going to bring you back to your own land. Uh, If you look at the last 13 chapters of the book of Ezekiel, you can divide it into three portions. There's chapter 35, 36, and 37. All those chapters are prophetic, and they're talking about God in the last days, bringing Israel back, restoring the nation of Israel. We can look at the map. We can see it. Ezekiel 38 and 39 describe a war that takes place. And we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but some people are asking, is that what's happening today? And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll address that. And then Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 talk about, we say this Israel's future as Jesus as their king, ruling and reigning for a thousand years. But getting to that, that portion, the 38th and 39th chapters, it says, 
Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, Gog, Prince of Rishak, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around and put a hook in your jaw. I'll lead you out. With all your army, horses, horsemen, splendidly clothed, the great company with butler and shield, all of them handling swords. Verse 8. And after many days, you will be visited. Now, this is talking about the last days. In the latter years, you will come into a land that was brought back from the sword, gathered from many peoples on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, and they were brought out of the nations, and now they dwell safely. So this is talking about the end time return of the Jews that you and I have seen, right? 70 AD, they ceased to be a nation. 1948, they become a nation again, 1,878 years. Now, some people say, is this what's happening today? First of all, the group that's mentioned in the first few verses, uh, Bible scholars actually differ. Some say that this is talking about Russia and a confederation of nations with Russia. Others, it is talking about Turkey and a confederation of nations with Turkey. Um, We're going to talk in a little bit about which one it most likely is based on Bible prophecy. However, what I want you to notice is this. This group comes out of the north. The Bible specifically says they come out of the north. What's happening in Israel right now is coming out of the south, right? It's not coming out of the north. Somebody says, is it Psalms 83, which is another war that is prophesied? Possibly, but again, all the players are not there. That would need to be there. So unless something changes, and we may talk about that before we finish, This war is not the war that is talking about either in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 or Psalms 83. In Ezekiel chapter 35, verse 5, it says this, Because you had an ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword, at the time that their calamity, when, excuse me, it's the sword, at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. Now, this is talking about the hatred of the Jewish people. Ezekiel's writing 2,700 years ago, and he called it an ancient hatred. So it was ancient then, right? Uh, You go back to Pharaoh. He's trying literally a genocide on the Jewish people. The book of Esther shows Haman, again, trying to eliminate the Jewish people. Not that long ago, Hitler gave it his best shot, right? The hatred of the Jewish people is demonic. It is motivated by a demonic spirit. And remember, God says, I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. So as Christians, we stand with the Jewish people. We stand with Israel. I think it's interesting that the United Nations has had more resolutions condemning Israel than all other nations combined. Zechariah said it like this. He says, and it will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. Uh, Although the UN condemns Israel, and someday if, if they get a group together to invade Israel, it's not going to matter because God's standing with Israel. God says, no matter what happens, he said, you try, you come against them. He says, you're going to be cut in pieces. 
just what happened in October the, the, the 7th with Hamas invading Israel. It's been called Israel's 9-11. In our nation, 9-11 was about 3,000 Americans were killed in New York City during our 9-11. But we had a population of in, in excess of 300 million. Israel is less than 8 million, 7.2 to be exact. Right? And if you would compare size-wise, it's as if 52,500 Americans were killed. That's what happened in October the 7th in Israel. And they're, they're, they're determined to clean things up, which they should do. So somebody says, is this the end? Pastor, is this the end of the world? Well, first of all, the end of the world is not even close. If Jesus came back today, he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. So the end is not even close, right? But it is a sign that we are coming to the end of human government. Right? When Jesus comes back, he comes as king. He comes to rule. He comes to reign. Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. What's going to be on Jesus' shoulders? The government. Verse 7, And of the increase of his government in peace there will be no end. Of the increase of his what? Government. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Government. Right? That's what Jesus is coming to do. He's coming to end human government. He's coming to rule and to reign as king of kings. Listen, the Republicans are not going to straighten things out. The independents are not going to straighten things out. The Democrats are not going to straighten things out. Jesus is going to straighten things out. He's going to be king of kings, Lord of lords. In Revelation chapter 20, in just seven verses, six times, it says a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, right? And again, the end is not yet. Second Thessalonians chapter two, right? It says, now this is the, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be sh soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit, an angel, or word, a prophecy, or by a letter. Now, notice he's talking about Jesus coming. Every New Testament author, everyone, talks about the return of Jesus. Right? I know it is ignored so much in the church today, right? but it is the blessed hope. Right? Then he goes on in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, now this is not a 24-hour period. Remember that. The day of the Lord is a seven-year period. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. Now, the man of sin is the Antichrist. All right. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, 
showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So Paul, 2,000 years ago, is talking to the church, and he says, I told you what's going to happen when the Antichrist comes. And notice he says, he sits as God in the temple of God. Well, the temple isn't there yet, right? But it will be, right? The end cannot come until the temple is there. And we're going to talk in just a few minutes about how it appears that temple is going to be there. However, if you go to Israel with us, we go to the Temple Institute, and everything for the temple is already built, in fact, we've got a picture right here. There's the candelabra outside. Uh, that thing's about six foot tall, right? Solid gold. I would imagine it probably weighs about 600 pounds, all right? That goes in the temple. You just go a few doors down. There's the Temple Institute. You walk inside. There's the table of showbread, solid gold that goes in the new temple. There's the laver. There's the, the brazen altar. Everything, everything is ready. In fact, the last time we were there, I asked our, our, our the, the, the institute provides you with a guide that brings you through. And I said, if you could, how soon would you be doing sacrifices? They, this is what the, their answer was. They said, we have a temporary temple structure that we can put up and we will do sacrifices within 24 hours. Now, that may not be the one that the Antichrist is going to go into, but there has to be something there for him to stop the sacrifices, right? And he will, he will do that. So those days, so the, the end cannot happen until that temple is built. Right? Now, most likely, you will not be here to see it, right? Because the rapture of the church will take place first. But I want to turn over to the book of Revelation in a moment, right? Um, we call it Revelations, but it's actually the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, Right? But I want to take a look at a prophecy. I want to read it, and then I want to talk to you about it for just a moment. Verse 9 says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings or kingdoms. Five have fallen. One is, and the other is yet to come. And when he comes, he shall continue a short time. The beast that was... And is not, is himself also the eighth, and he is of the seven, and he is going to perdition. Now, you read that, and and it might be a little confusing, so let me just kind of unpack this, all right? There's going to be seven kingdoms, actually eight with the last one, that rule the Middle East, right? Bible prophecy is not, when it's talking about ruling the world, it's not talking about everything. Even the Antichrist, listen, the Bible says that the kings of the East come against him. He does not rule the whole world, right? He rules the Middle East, okay? He has opponents, right, that come against him. So there's going to be seven kingdoms that are mentioned first that are going to rule that part of the world. First was the, 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 the empire of the Egyptians, then the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and then ultimately the Turkish Empire, which was really the Turkish Caliphate, where they they literally ruled over this extremely large area where it was completely Muslim, 
All right? That was the seventh empire. That empire died, ceased to exist in 1922. Right? Some of you remember, I like, hope you, all of you do, remember ISIS? Their whole purpose, in fact, they claim to be that empire reborn. Right? Now, the president of Turkey, that is, ex- that, that is his spoken goal, is to revive, bring back to life that empire again. He, that will be the seventh empire that died and is the eighth when it comes back. All right? The Antichrist is going to come out of, oh, we say this, the Muslim world, the, the reborn Ottoman Empire. Remember the Antichrist? You know what he likes to do? He cuts people's heads off. Uh, who likes to do that? Anybody nowadays you can think of who cuts people's heads off? Kind of tells you where the Antichrist is going to come from. Right? He's going to come out of that world. But the seventh that was is going to come back as the eighth. Right? And it is also, by the way, the head that gets destroyed or gets shot all right, and comes back to life. Right? It's that, that Turkish Ottoman Empire. Um, President Erdogan de, de, of, uh, of Turkey just in the last couple of weeks said this, Hamas is not a terror organization. It's an organization of liberation, of Mahadeen, who fight to protect their land and citizens. Uh, Turkey is becoming more and more radicalized as the, as the days go by. Right? 20 years ago, it was a completely different nation than it is today. Right? So Jesus is going to return. He's going to return as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Right? The Bible says in Zechariah 14, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. He is literally going to return right there in Jerusalem. Isaiah said, and out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, I want to remind you that Jesus comes three times, right? First of all, in Bethlehem, born as a baby, right? Secondly, he comes for the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes these, these words. He says, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or who have died. At least you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or who die in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. When Jesus comes for the church, the next time he comes, he's not going to land. We're meeting him in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. But then he's going to come back later, right? Jude prophesies about it. Zechariah prophesies about it, and he says that the Lord will come, and all the saints with you. He's not coming for us, we're coming with him, all right? Jude says to execute judgment. When Jesus returns, 
He's coming to straighten things out, to rule and to reign. All right. With that said, that's our, our introduction. So here we go. All right now, put your cap on. All right. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus Olivet Discourse. Jesus said, therefore, now this is when he talks in times. Right? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, it's in the temple, whoever reads, let him understand. See, the, the, the prophecy that Daniel gave is the key prophecy to understanding in time Bible prophecy. And if you don't understand Daniel's prophecy about the abomination of desolation, or is it sometimes called Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks, you mess up all in time prophecy. So we're going to take a quick look at it this morning. All right. So it starts in Daniel chapter nine and verse 24 is what it says. 70 weeks. Now, these are weeks of years. Every week is seven years. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. One of the mistakes that we can make when we read the Bible is we think that everything's talking about us. Right? But not every prophecy is talking about you. Right? It says it like this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, we give no offense either to the Jew, to the Greek, or the Gentile, or to the church of God, right? Some prophecies are specifically to the Jews. Some are specifically to Gentile nations. And others are to the church. And when we try to make everything about us, we mess up, right? So this prophecy is determined for your people who are Daniel's people, the Jews, all right? And your holy city, Jerusalem. This is a prophecy about the future of the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen during 490 years. To finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision. In other words, all of the prophecies are going to be fulfilled and to anoint the most holy. That's Jesus coming back. That's going to happen in a period of 490 years, right? Now, I mentioned there are weeks, but each week is seven years. Daniel, at the time that this happens, is praying about a prophecy that Jeremiah had, that they would be in captivity for 70 years. By the way, 70 years is seven times 10. He's been fasting for 21 days, three times seven, 21. Matthew chapter one. So the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. From the captivity of Babylon to Christ are 14 generations, right? Two times seven is 14. The, the, the number seven comes up again and again and again and again in Bible prophecy, right? So Daniel is praying about Jeremiah's prophecy that they're gonna bring back the, God's going to bring back the Jews after the 70 years of captivity. So 70 weeks, 490 years are determined for your people, the Jews, and the holy city. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem 
until Messiah, the Prince, that's Jesus, there will be seven weeks, 49 years, and or plus 62 weeks, 434 years. And the streets will be built again and the walls even in troublesome times. So he's saying there's going to be 483 years from the command to build the city of Jerusalem until the Messiah. So Jerusalem is in ruins, and basically it takes 49 years for the city to be rebuilt. But once the command to to, to rebuild that city goes out, this prophecy begins. And there's going to be 483 years from that point until Jesus, until the Messiah. Now, those are Jewish years. And a Jewish year is 360 days, not 365 days, by the way. Right? So 69 weeks of years, or 483 years, times 360 days brings you to the Messiah. That's his prophecy. Right? Well, the command to rebuild was issued by Xerxes. He was the king of Persia. And uh, by the way, according to the Broadman commentary, it went out on March the 4th, 445 BC. So what we need to do then is we need to take 483 years times 360 days, and we find out when the Messiah is going to show up, right? Well, I did the math for you. Actually, my, my phone did the math for you. Okay. That's 173,880 days, which brings you to March the 29th, A.D. 32. By the way, it was a Sunday. We celebrate it every year. We call it Palm Sunday. And that's the day that Jesus gets on a donkey and he's coming into Jerusalem. And they're waving palm branches. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this prophecy is specific down to the day. Down to the day. And they're waving Hosanna. Again, March the 29th. The crucifixion is April the 3rd, just a few days later, right? And then the resurrection right afterwards, right? Now, notice Daniel continues in the prophecy. And after 62 weeks, the 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off or will be killed, but not for himself. How many know that's exactly what happened to Jesus? It was just a few days later. They take him out and they crucify him. Now, the Bible says it didn't happen because of what he did, right? He's cut off, but not for himself. You know why he was cut off? He was delivered up because of our offenses. That's why he was cut off. That's why he went to that cross, for our offenses. Now, the prophecy gets more specific. And the people of the prince who is to come. Now, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist. He'll destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it will be with the flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So we come to the 483 years of the 490 years. 483. So there's seven years yet to go. right? And it says the people of the prince who is to come. 
Well, we know what happened August the 6th, 70 AD, the Romans destroy the city and they destroy the temple, right? And everybody just says, the Romans, the Romans, Titus. And because of that, many people look to a revived Roman empire for the Antichrist to come out of, right? But we need, really need to zero in on the word people, right? The word people, because it's an ethnic group, right? It's not a kingdom or an empire, but rather the people themselves, right? Uh, the Hebrew lexograph says it this way. Its primary use is a single race or tribe, race or family, kindred, relative, not looking at an empire, but rather a race. So it was the Roman Empire, but it was the 10th legion, all right? All of which came from Turkey and came from Syria, all right? The 15th legion was there, all from Syria. The 12th legion, Eastern Turkey and Syria. All of the people that were there were from what today are predominantly Muslim nations, all right? And again, when the Bible says the people of the prince, it's not talking about the empire, but the individuals that were there. And they predominantly, again, come from what today would be Turkey, Syria, Eastern Turkey, um, countries that are definitely very Muslim. All right, so at the end of these 483 years, the Messiah is cut off. But there's still one week to go, right? Now, the prophecy is that God is going to be focusing on the Jewish people and on the city of Jerusalem. And this prophecy is a little bit like watching the Super Bowl, right? Uh, I, I, I hate sports on television, all right? I've never watched a football game or a basketball game or anything like that, but I will go to a Super Bowl party to eat, okay? And this, so, so they're, they're, they're playing the game, all right, and all of a sudden, halftime, all right? Advertisements, food, chocolate, hallelujah. Right? Well, that's really what happens here. You have 69 years, and all of a sudden, there is a break. There's like a halftime, right? And you say, what happens? The time of the Gentiles. Jesus talked about it. God stops focusing his attention completely on the Jewish people, and he's focusing on the nations of the world. Right? It's the time of grace. Theologians call this the church age, all right? Jesus told us that Jerusalem would be trampled down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, right? When God refocuses on Israel and Jerusalem, that will be the end of the time of the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean Gentiles can't get saved, right? Because you look in the book of Revelation, and during the Great Tribulation, there's people that are giving their lives for the gospel, receiving Jesus, and the Bible says they're up in heaven, right? So you can still get saved, but God's focus is going to turn, all right? It's going to turn because there's still one period of seven years to fulfill this prophecy. So the 27th verse, then he, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the last week when God is going to focus again his attention on the Jewish people and on the city of Jerusalem. But in the middle of the week, that's he 
will bring an end to sacrifices and offering. This is what Paul was talking about when he said he's going to go into the temple. He's going to stop the sacrifices, and he's going to declare himself to be God. So there's this seven-year covenant agreement that he makes to bring peace in the Middle East. How many know everybody's looking for peace in the Middle East? And the Antichrist is going to come and bring an agreement for seven years. Part of it, scholars believe, is going to allow the Jewish people to build some sort of a structure on the Temple Mount and again begin their sacrifices, which they are ready to do, right? But halfway through, he goes into that temple and he stops their sacrifices. He stops all of the activity in the temple and he says, I'm God, right? The man of sin, the man of perdition. But in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifices and offerings And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So this man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one, will most likely come out of Turkey or Syria. That's where the people who destroyed the temple came from. He will rise up and he will take authority in a country, right? He will appear to be a man of peace, and he will bring a peace treaty into the Middle East for seven years. But right in the middle of that, he will break that treaty personally and go into the temple and declare himself to be God, right? And at that point, I don't know how else to say this. You can read it in the book of Revelation, all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose, right? In fact, Amos said it this way, woe to you who desire the word of the Lord, the, the day of the Lord. For, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It'll be darkness and not light. By the way, the church, I believe, will be gone. The church will be gone. If you look at the book of Revelation, the first three chapters, the church is mentioned again and 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 again. Start chapter four, there's not one mention of the church. Not one. You say, why? Because the Bible says he hasn't appointed us under wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And starting at that fourth chapter, the wrath of God is poured out, right? It's poured out. We won't be here. And Paul said, you know, you need to comfort one another with these words. If you're a believer, it's not time to buy land in Montana, get guns and dried beans, right? It's time to lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh. It's time to do everything that you possibly can in and for the kingdom of God because once the king comes, our opportunity to win the lost is going to be over, right? But we can change people's eternity today. All right, would you bow your heads for just a moment? And again, in a group this size, there's always people in different spiritual conditions. People, you're on fire for God. And there's others that you've drifted away from the Lord. Somehow, something, somebody, something got in your life and you have drifted away. And you need to get back to God. And there's others you don't know where you stand with God. You just say, well, I just hope when I die, I go to heaven. The Bible says we've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. So you should know that you're forgiven. Know you're right with God. Know you're on your way to heaven. 
And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be. Now, the Bible says this in Romans 10, verse 13. It says, whosoever, that's you. And it says, we'll call on the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to pray a prayer, and we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. Right? And then there's a promise. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, and this is the promise, we'll be saved. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud. And to make these words your own, let them come from your heart. But if you will pray this prayer from your heart, God's going to hear this prayer. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. This is a basic prayer that I prayed literally 50 years ago. Changed my life, still working. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, this prayer is just going to keep working. It's going to change your life. So would you repeat this? Just say, oh God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I turned my back on my old life. I'm not living to please myself any longer. I received Jesus as my King and my Lord, and I'm going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your kingdom, your family today and forever in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.